Welcome to the Episcopal Church of the Redeemer's Sermon Podcast. The readings appointed for this sermon are from the book of the prophet Isaiah, chapter 45, verse 1 through 7, 1 Thessalonians, chapter 1, verse 1 through 10, the Gospel according to Matthew, chapter 22, verse 15 through 22, and Psalm 96, verse 1 through 6. O God, you made us in your own image and redeemed us through Jesus, your Son. Look with compassion on the whole human family. Take away the arrogance and hatred which infect our hearts. Break down the walls that separate us. Unite us in bonds of love and work through our struggle and confusion to accomplish your purposes on earth, that in your good time all nations and races may serve you in harmony around your heavenly throne. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. And in the great hall of that heavenly throne is the heavenly banquet, a wedding banquet serving lavish, endless quantities of food to honor the sun and inviting us to share in that abundance. Who would not show up for a feast like that? Whenever I read in the gospel about wedding feasts, it always reminds me of traditional Chinese wedding banquets. If you have never been to a Chinese wedding banquet at a Chinatown restaurant, I would like to suggest that one day you disguise yourself as Uncle Hori's second cousin and sneak in. <laughs> what you will get is our version of a heavenly feast, a 10-course dinner with birds, beginning with bird's nest soup and ending with Peking duck. Every single dish is symbolic of some promise for the couple of long life, good fortune, prosperity, strength, happiness. Those wedding banquets are the Chinese equivalent of Cinderella's ball. No one would miss out on those. And with an invitation list of four to 500 people and nobody checking the guest list, you probably could walk right in. Just like God's wedding feast, who would wanna miss that feast? Well, maybe it depends on the food and the people invited. Here's what Bridget of Ireland, one of our Celtic saints, wrote as her version of a great feast for the sun. She writes this, I should like a great lake of finest ale for the king of kings. I should like a table of the choicest food for the family of heaven. Let the ale be made from the fruits of faith and the food be forgiving love. I should welcome the poor to my feast for they are God's children. I should welcome the sick to my feast, for they are God's joy. Let the poor sit with Jesus at the highest places, and the sick dance with the angels. Now there's a feast. You would go for the ale, of course, and you'd go for the food, because who can resist the food of forgiving love, I wonder? But even if the food were marvelous, would you go if you were placed among the poor and the sick, and not treated as a host special, deserving, worthy friend? Would you go as just one of the ordinary? So I think the parable about the wedding feast goes in two different directions, the nature of the feast and the refusals of people to attend. A feast put out by the king, whether it's Cinderella's king or the king of heaven, a feast would be an amazing event. What would it be like, I wonder? What's the nature of the feast? But on the other hand, who would not want to be there? Why would anyone refuse? Jesus is always about the kingdom of heaven, of course, 
And that's where this feast really takes place, the kingdom of heaven. Jesus doesn't care a whit about Cinderella's king and the ball for his son. So what does God, the king of heaven, want to fill us up with, to feed us with? I think it would be a lot like Bridget's meal. The heavenly banquet in God's kingdom is a feast of love, mercy, forgiveness, in quantities that never run out, kind of like an all-night soup kitchen with pots with all-you-want helpings of compassionate love, forgiveness, and a heaping portion of redemption for everyone who hungers and thirsts after righteousness. Who would refuse? Why would anyone reject what that king is offering? Well, there are lots of reasons. Jesus' story says that people offered a whole bunch of excuses. In our world outside that parable, in this world, I don't think you need any special research to know that that's true. People, have, people will turn down offers to forgive and be forgiven, to love and be loved for all sorts of reasons. It doesn't take a theology degree to know that the kingdom of God is not yet realized. The dream is not yet fulfilled, and the promise is ignored. You just need to look around you and see that God's offer of love and forgiveness is too often refused. And if you have attended the Sacred Ground series here or the anti-racism training, you would get a good sense of why some people might reject God and God's inclusive love for all people. But the invitation still goes out. God's gift of abundant life is still out there on the table for everyone who wants to be a guest at God's table, as Matthew put it, good or bad. God's world is a world of abundance. In Moses' time, God gave to the Israelites the promise of abundance against the nightmare of Pharaoh's world of scarcity. Abundance, scarcity. The people wandered for 40 years following that promise of abundance. Today, in many ways, we still live in Pharaoh's nightmare of scarcity. We live our lives on the assumption that there's not enough to go around, not enough time, not enough jobs, not enough respect, not enough land. It's a zero-sum world. I win, you lose. You win, I lose. On the one hand, for some people, the prospect of losing of being disrespected, of losing their status in society is unbearably threatening to their very being. On the other hand, for those who have already lost, who are oppressed, who are dispossessed, they can't see the way to abundance except by fighting for it. People who are threatened feel like they need to defend themselves against their own extinction. So there's fear, there's anger, there's resentment, hatred, and violence. Jesus knew about violence, of course. The Prince of Peace lived and preached his lessons in a violent world, in many ways, a lot like ours today. Then, mobs went around crucifying people they didn't like. Our mobs went around lynching people we didn't like. Then, berserk leaders and people killed each other with stones and swords. We have AR-15s and high-mobility artillery rocket systems. But then, Jesus, surrounded by a violent world, Jesus promises, promises a new reality, the reality of the kingdom of God, 
a new and unseen reality that recognizes and embraces God's values. Even in his violent times, Jesus promises the good news of salvation for all people, including the ones who would soon crucify him. As he lived and taught, Jesus showed us a gospel reality in his life and his teaching, the gospel reality, a reality that is different from the reality that you see right in front of you. It's a gospel reality. It's a reality of truth and forgiveness and reconciliation and justice and love all in abundance. God's new reality of abundant life may feel threatening to some people or communities if they have gotten used to the old reality of scarcity and loss and if they actually benefit from that reality and they can't see their place in the reality of inclusion and sharing. So then as bearers of the good news of God in Christ, we have a job to do. As Christians, we are called to bear God's hope for the world in a hurting and, re and broken world. God asks us to witness to the abundance of God and then not just witness, but to go out and to share that abundance, to hear the good news, and then to share the good news. We are to be active participants in God's world, active participants and not just couch potatoes of God's salvation. We don't do thoughts and prayers around here. In our prayers, we ask not for God to fix our world, we ask for God to give us the courage and the heart and the mind for us to fix the world. Throughout our faith, history, and our tradition, it's always been like that. There is nothing in the Bible about the holy work of the couch potato. I promise you that. <laughs> Here at Redeemer, I don't see a lot of couch potatoes. This is not a couch potato church. You are working to move towards this beloved community of God to the gospel reality yet unseen, but out there. You're doing that as you work to dismantle racism in your culture, in your community, to care for God's creation. You're doing that, working to move towards God's reality, to tell the truth about our churches and race. You're doing that when you, when you try to get to that beloved community, try to get to an inclusive community here at Redeemer. The end is God's reality, of course, which is real right now. It's out there, but like a wedding feast behind doors that we lock ourselves out of, it may be just beyond our reach. It needs us to help open those doors. Today, Ohio congregations, part of the Ohio Council of Churches, will all publicly declare racism to be a sin as part of Anti-Racism Sunday today here in Ohio making clear that racism is antithetical to the teachings of Jesus Christ, antithetical. Today is also the end of a long and unbearably brutal week of war and violence in Israel and Gaza. Thousands and thousands of families on both sides are undergoing massive suffering and grief, fear and danger. In the midst of all these troubles, we cannot lose the hope. We need always to keep 
the vision of God in front of us. Keeping God in front of us with God's promise of life over the grief of death. With life over the fear of loss. Keeping God in front of us gives us the courage to refuse to accept racism and refuse to accept violence and hatred as the normal for our society and our world. We cannot accept that as normal as the way things are. Instead, in holy defiance and in defiant hope, we can stand and advocate for God's beloved community as the true new normal. Even in the midst of such troubling and scary times, God's wedding banquet is still out there waiting for us. But it's no fairy tale ball, and it's not even the Chinese feast. It is the wedding feast of the Lord, where it is more than okay to eat and run. Because as we say, run in peace to love and serve the Lord. Amen.